part one of a live recording from the Kitchener-Waterloo Centre of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada on episode 300 of the Actual Astronomy podcast. This episode was recorded live via Zoom on February 10th, 2023 from the Kitchener-Waterloo Centre of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada to celebrate our 300th episode and to bring a bit of an astronomy club experience to our listeners. We had some technical issues and not everything went as planned, but in the end, after chatting with Shane, we agreed that this is a great episode, and we only wish we could have recorded it longer. We hope you enjoy part one of this episode, featuring Ellen, who talks about observing Comet E3ZTF, as well as 96P McColls, followed by a conversation with Michael, who recently received his 12-inch telescope. Welcome to a live recording that we're doing at the Kitchener-Waterloo RESC Center for the 300th episode of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up the nighttime sky, and this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. So here we are doing a live show finally, Shane, even though we're still on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, well, we've talked about it for quite a while, so I'm pretty excited for this. This is a neat, uh, a neat experiment and a neat opportunity. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and thanks to Trevor and Michael and the KW executive for entertaining my wacky idea and going along with this crazy experiment. So I was a member of the KW Center uh, quite some time ago, and uh, it's always such a fun club to belong to. And some of my fondest memories of observing and uh, hanging out with people under the stars are from the KW uh, times. Uh, and if it was cloudy, Sometimes we'd head down to the Hoother and just have a beer instead. Tonight, uh, we have a series of, of short conversations that we're going to have. Um, so we're going to talk to Michael, who recently had first light with his 12-inch reflector. Uh, then we'll talk to Marie, who's doing some really interesting lunar observing. And then uh, Peter, who, Chris, I understand is a, a good or an old observing friend of yours and builds uh, some very large telescopes. So that's always interesting, too. Yeah. And I keep trying to convince Peter to, to come out here with his 24 inch. So fingers, fingers crossed we can make that happen. For a long time, the KDB Center ran uh, two monthly meetings. Uh, one of those meetings was a regular club meeting. The other was the uh, meeting they called the Stargazing 101 meeting. I understand it recently ended. Actually, I, I went via Zoom to the last uh, one. Um, I only attended the regular meetings for a while and I mistakenly uh, dismissed those other meetings as uh, like a beginner's group of maybe something that was uh, that was really entry level. But uh, one night a friend of mine was talking and said, hey, you should come check this out. It's a lot of fun. And we all go for beer and uh, ribs afterwards. So each meeting was informal. And uh, the invited speakers were just people from the club and people get up and talk about observing whatever they were doing, maybe looking at Mars, doing some sketching, telescope building. And sometimes during the meeting, uh, you'd even get like astronomy book reviews and everything was pretty much done by club members, though the odd time they'd invite in a guest speaker. And the way they ran the 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 Stargazing 101 meetings was they would begin the brief introduction and then they would just ask what people have been observing. So kind of in that light, I've modeled our podcast a little bit after that. So people might see that as a, sort of an homage to to what they were doing with the Stargazing 101. We've we recently had this this comet. Uh, E3, uh, ZTF, and we've had a few uh, images come in from uh, Ernie and Mark. Uh, they're, they're the people who most recently sent us a couple images. Uh, Ernie, today I was talking to you, beautiful image on the left side showing Comet E3, ZTF, and uh, really like the 
colors of the stars that he is in the the image here and uh, you can see the ion tail you can see the dust tail streaming out and then mark uh, a couple weeks ago or about a week ago sent us this other image and on the far right this tiny little one i couldn't make it any smaller um this is my sketch from last evening when i was observing when it was um, minus 13 minus 20 with the wind chill and i was just using my little 60 millimeter takahashi and 25 power and showed a showed a nice little tail on that ellen Papano, we're going to invite you to be our first person to talk on the show with us here tonight, because I understand that you've recently given a Comet workshop and uh, have some uh, slides to share and, and some information about uh, Comet observations tonight. Yes. Okay. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, it's been, uh... Okay, so this is a photo of me being frustrated with Comet, the weather and the flu that I had this last week when it finally got clear after three weeks of being cloudy, cloudy, cloudy with only a few holes that I missed. And um, basically it's a comet uh, E3ZTF uh, discovered in 2022. Uh, we also call it Zwicky now. So just to let you know, and sometimes I refer to it as a fluffy <laughs> because it is quite fluffy. And there was another comet called uh, Mechels 96P it became magnitude zero, but it was way too close to the sun. So that was the end of that. And um, let me see here how to get it forward. Yeah, there we go. Um, I have a photo here that shows Neowise of uh, July 2020 and our current Fluffy or Swicky. And it's like a, a, a big, huge comet. And we have to know that Neowise was actually very, very, very smaller than Hale Bob uh, in uh, 1997. Um, so it's already, it was already a smaller comet. And then uh, Zwicky is uh, basically like a, a, thing, a pinky fingerprint compared with that. And uh, this photo, uh, if, if it gets shared, it's uh, by Rutger Bus in the Netherlands. Uh, now, why is it so good to, to see this uh, comet. Uh, well, it is from far. It is uh, 420 billion kilometers uh, uh, where it came from. And it's basically uh, uh, now coming close to us with four, 40 million kilometers. So it's not that close, but it is close. Uh, now, Fluffy's photons will hit our uh, eye, our retina. And those photons are actually particles. And it is like you make a physical contact with this comet that came from so far. So that makes it actually special. And that is quite something, isn't it? Now, um, uh, there might be people that don't know what comets are. And they're coming from far, from the Oort cloud, which is, uh, oh, about 500 uh, uh, billion kilometers away and farther than that. Um, uh, when comets are somehow bumped into, uh, it is a big cloud that actually made the solar system. That is where we are ma made from. The inner solar system is made from, uh, from all that dust. And there is not that much left anymore in our uh, inner solar system, but there's still a big cloud out there. And uh, Swiki was a long periodic comet of, uh, with an orbit of uh, every 53,000 years it would come by. But what Jupiter and the other gas giant planets are doing with their gravity is uh, changing the orbit. 
and uh, and in this case uh, it wasn't captured more like other comets uh, sometimes happens to uh, but it was kicked out and it won't be back until in a million or more than a million years comets are made uh, they you hear about dirty snowballs and uh, basically uh, made of all the stuff uh, in in the cloud so there's particles dislodged from, from the comet and then there's a tail that is pushed away from the sun because the sun is pushing it away with the solar wind and the uh, radiation. Um, Swicky was actually ideal because it became circumpolar, which means that after a while, it was uh, visible all night long. And we have a, uh, a map here that shows it. The light curve, it was expected to be coming almost naked eye. However, that sort of barely happened, but it is basically um, diminishing now in around seven magnitude, which is uh, binocular. Uh, Swicky's anti-tail anti was visible in this picture by Chris Schur. The coma is all uh, green because uh, it contains diatomic carbon and is agitated by the UV light of, uh, of the sun. And uh, when we go through the plane of the comet, we can see all the dust that is gathering in its orbit, and that is why there was an anti-tail. And here is a picture of um, comet E3 or Swicky and uh, comet U2. Uh, U2 is much uh, dimmer than Swicky uh, is, uh, so kissing comets, they call it. <laughs> and then Machels was there. Machels is a periodic uh, comet of 5.3 years, uh, but we were very unfortunately located uh, uh, compared with comet, and the comet was very close to the sun seen from us, but it was very close. It was one-third of uh, orbit of uh, of Mercury, and it is a sun grazer. Uh, so it was very close to the sun, so we didn't see it, but somebody made a picture, and, and that is uh, by Michael Jaeger in Germany, and he took one picture of uh, the comet when it was uh, less than 15 degrees away from the sun. So that's quite a feat, because it was very hard to see that. Now here we see uh, by the uh, orbiting solar and heliospheric uh, uh, observatory, um, the sun is uh, covered up here in this picture, but you see the comet approaching. And then you see also that the tail indeed is pointing away from, um, from the, the sun. So that was it for, for, for this. Uh, on the observing part, I've seen it on the 15th of January with uh, Marie, who's doing the uh, moon talk. Uh, and that was the last time that I saw it dimly because it is, it is very, very, just a very gray little patch. So don't think you see a light bulb in the sky because it is not like that. Anyway, I have here some, uh, <clears throat> some sources that I will uh, also share with, uh, with the, com uh, the, um, the group here and I can send it to you too, Chris. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks for that, uh, Ellen. Appreciate it. All right. Maybe uh, what we'll do is just see if anybody else had any observations that they would like to share. 
Michael, I see you've taken yourself oh. mute. Go for it. Well, I did see the comet uh, twice. I went out last week yeah. and it was negative 18 plus wind chill. And I started getting frostbite trying to get in my telescope. I had seen it in the binoculars. And so I knew where I was trying to point it, but I couldn't get it. So I was very frustrated because I needed to go in. But I went out again on Monday night uh, and it was only negative five. Um, so I was able to take my time and it was an easier part of the sky. I'm not really familiar with the circumpolar sky around Ursa Minor, but uh, in Oregon, I'm very familiar with that part of the sky. And it was very close to Zeta Oregi. Um, so I just pointed the telescope right, right there with the finder and there it was. And, um, uh, it was the 12 inch. So you could, you could see the ion tail just faintly nice. um, and it had a nice uh, fan shape it was really mostly just the nucleus and the coma that you could see it took averted vision and some patience to see sort of some detail in the tail and the ion tail was very very faint well that you've seen that it is quite something uh, michael it was wonderful what what power were you using michael uh about 46 power okay right on uh, Michael, uh, you you were actually the most recent organizer slash host of this Stargazing 101 meetings, and you've delivered a whole variety of uh, of talks. So welcome to the podcast. Appreciate having you on. Thanks, guys. I, as a, a listener, I am uh, really excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you and excited to hear about your scope and super excited to see some of your sketches. So we mailed quite a bit uh, since late last spring and. You caught my attention because you were observing from uh, a site that uh, that I think I located when I was living in Kitchener Waterloo and, and doing my astronomy there. Yeah, the the site that you uh, found near West Moncton uh, between Listowel and Stratford is a great little observing site at the end of a dirt road in uh, the middle of the country. The sky's uh, somewhere between a Bortle 4 and a Bortle 3.75, maybe, something like that. Yeah. Um, you got the KW light dome to the east-southeast and uh, a little bit of one from Stratford to the south. But otherwise, the, the skies are quite nice there. And I've spent a lot of time uh, logging hours and under the stars at that site. So thank you for finding that. Yeah, does it help? Yeah. Does it still have the big cement pad at the end of it? it? Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. I remember Clark, who's who's there at KW uh, Telescope. Um, he and I went observing there one December or January, and that whole top was covered in ice. And it's a little bit of a drop off off the edge of it. So we were trying to be pretty careful in in making our observations that we didn't, uh, you know, plunge to our deaths. <laughs> yeah, and as as you know, that road snows in in the winter too, and yeah. uh, I've gotten stuck. So. You got to yeah. be careful. Exactly. Exactly. Right on. Well, maybe what I'll do here, uh, folks, is I'll share my screen again, because we have some of your uh, sketches, Michael, and I think a mm -hmm. photograph of, of your 12 inch. And maybe just to kick off the conversation here, um, would you mind just telling us a little bit about the 12 inch, um, just some of the details? Well, uh, I'm... I guess almost 41. And since I was 14, I've had a four and a half inch Newtonian and that I pushed that scope to the limits over the last few years, trying to eke out every last thing I could see with it. Um, and sketching became a big part of my routine to try and catch more and more detail. 
Um, and I was always, I mean, I love hunting down galaxies and faint things and uh, pushing my limits. So I knew I needed to get something bigger. And um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at the 40 years old, so I didn't want to just jump up to an eight inch. I wanted to go all the way to a 12 inch so I could really um, enjoy some deep, deep views um, and see what kind of detail I could uh, see and bring to my sketches. Uh, so um, I ordered the telescope way back in April 2022. And because of all the delays that we have right now with the supply chains uh, in astronomy, just like everything else, um, it took uh, until the beginning of December for the telescope to arrive. Oh, wow. So, and then of course we had uh, cloudy skies. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, of course, because I, you know, when you spend uh, $2,500 on a telescope, the nature does not want you to use it. Mm -hmm. um, but I did manage to get out on my balcony about a week after, um, I live in an apartment, um, about a week after the telescope came in. And I did, just did some um, beginning of observations of Jupiter, of Saturn, of uh, the Pleiades and the Hyades and the Orion Nebula. And even through, you know, the Bordelate sky of the right in the heart of Kitchener, um, I was seeing detail on the planets that was just astounding me and just um, sort of some crisp detail and uh, the number of stars that I could see in the Pleiades and the Hyades was just uh, spectacular. Um, and when I got to the Orion Nebula, I was kind of like, I don't know, I was disappointed because I knew if I got out to a dark sky, I'd be seeing more. But it was sort of one of those, the thing that I noticed the most was that it was green. Um, and um, I've heard before that, you know, if you if you're, have good enough uh, night night color vision, uh, you can catch hints of green in the Orion Nebula, but this wasn't just a hint of green, it was, it was green, and I was astounded um, at just how clear the color was, um, so I'm looking forward to uh, looking at other things that might, I might be able to catch some color in uh, now that I have this large scope. Um, I've since, uh, been out a couple times with it. Um, I managed to get out, I believe it was January 18th. Uh, and that was my first dark sky night at the Moncton observing site that uh, Chris had found. Um, and that was just an absolute wonderful evening. And it made me very glad that I spent the money on this telescope. It was worth every penny. Um, we started off, um, I had brought some friends with me um, just to give the thing a good christening. And, you know, we checked out the usual suspects like the Andromeda Galaxy and Triangulum and the Orion Nebula. And they all had, you know, just this wealth of detail. Um, sometimes things that I'd seen before, but that I had to struggle to see, but now they were just so easy and so clear. Um, but also other things, um, using um, a nebula filter, I was able to pick out the spiral structure of M33 of the Triangulum Galaxy much easier uh, 
um, mm -hmm. than I had expected. Because um, usually it, there's sort of these vague hints of spiral arms uh, that you can get in a four and a half inch. And, you know, there was more of that in the 12 inch. But then when I put the nebula filter on, it it just felt really obvious. Um, and that just must be because of the the light from the gas in the spiral arms uh, coming through more easily. Um, I spent some more time that night looking at other things, um, a couple globular clusters, and then moving on to uh, Hubble's variable nebula, um, which looked different than I remember. Not, not much different, but uh, I look forward to uh, checking that out more often um, because it does change over time as the star moves through the dust cloud that it's in. Um, and then I spent a lot of time on the Rosette Nebula to make a sketch. Um, and uh, that was um, very rewarding. Um, just the amount of detail that I could see faint uh, parts of gas that, you know, I'm used to seeing in astrophotographs, but I had never dreamed that I would be able to pick it up just with my eyes. Um, so that extra aperture really helps and spending time at the eyepiece with these things really helps. But I guess the highlight of that evening, though, was uh, um, catching the Horsehead Nebula, um, which I didn't think I was going to happen. I sort of uh, had it in the plan to take a look, you know, to maybe give it a try. But I don't have an H-beta filter. It's just a narrow band Orion Ultra Block, similar to the UHC filter from Lumicon. And, um, you know, I pointed my telescope at the right place. Um, I knew where I was supposed to be looking. Um, there's this trapezoid of stars that kind of surround the emission nebula IC 434. And uh, it, it's kind of in the middle, but slightly to the north end of that trapezoid. And then there's this little T shape, or at least it looks like a T shape to me of these faint stars that kind of points right at the south end of the head. And when I was looking with the filter, I could clearly distinguish an area where there was just nothing there and surrounding it, there was just this faint glow. So um, I take that as that I nabbed it. It wasn't, you know, a clear distinct outline of um, a horse head shape. It was just more the absence of something from there. But I think that's pr probably about as good as you can get uh, in a 12, 12 inch. Yeah, uh, well, on that target. Yeah, all all of the sketches here. So you know, Hubble's variable. Um, I forget what the one in the top right is for uh, NGC number, but um, Huygens uh, region there, um, the Rosette, and then yeah, the the Flame Nebula and the Horsehead. Your sketches are wonderful. First of all, uh, you know, oh, I, I, they're really thanks. really good, and and the detail you captured in that Rosette nebula is just outstanding you you kind of have me longing to get a 12 inch again even though I, <laughs> I had one and sold it it's really incredible um how much detail you've picked up and uh looks like you have a really good performing telescope is the focal ratio on that uh like around f5 it's f4.9 yeah Got so okay. just a little under f5 yeah yeah and this is the uh the skywatcher flex tube so the upper yep. tube assembly slides up and down the trusses or or yep. i guess the trusses sort of slide down into the uh, lower tube assembly is that correct exactly it's uh really uh it 
packs down really well. I can fit it into the bat, uh, the tube into the trunk of a Honda Civic, and then the base goes into the back seat. Um, and then uh, I can take it wherever I need to. Um, that was something I was worried about, actually, when I was getting it. Was I going to be able to fit it into this car? But uh, it worked out, thankfully. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. How do you find uh, it holding collimation throughout the night with that type of design? So um, I haven't really had too much of an issue with it. Um, although I wasn't um, being super picky about the collimation yet. It's been a snap to get it into collimation at the beginning of the night with a laser tool. Um, like it, it um, having only used it three times, the last time I took it out just last um, on Monday, um, it took me maybe two minutes uh, once everything was put together and it was uh, pointed a start uh, or put together to uh, once I got the laser in, it was less than two minutes and I had it uh, in collimation. So uh, at least getting it there is a snap. So I, if I have to adjust it once or twice a night, if it's a long night, four hours or five hours, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you find balances, like, I don't know how big the eyepieces you're using, but do, do you find you have to like adjust the balance or anything like that when you're... Uh... So I've been using uh, the batter Hyperion line of eyepieces. I just purchased a whack of them uh, as a kind of good mid-range eyepiece. Um, so they're kind of, they're not as heavy as sort of your big uh, Televues, your Ethos and that sort of thing, um, but they are heavier than Flossils. Um, and I haven't had any problems with it. I For the uh, five millimeter, I've just adjusted the tension setting a little bit. So add a little more tension uh, if I'm pointing um, a little bit low, but uh, it, it hasn't bothered me yet. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, super interesting too, to hear the, um, the color that you were able to see in M42. Um, that is something too, that still kind of stands out in my memory of when I had a 12 inch telescope was that the, uh, the green certainly did start to pop for me as well. Um, it'll be interesting, uh, to hear if you're, you know, able to tease out some of that color and in, in other brighter nebula, uh, you know, throughout your, your observing days here in the future. Um, hopefully, yeah. you know, hopefully you, you see a little bit more of that. Yeah, I'm really curious about how the Lagoon Nebula and the mm-hmm. Triffid Nebula are going to look this summer. Um, even on stars, I've noticed that I notice more color in the stars um, than I used to. Um, even when I was looking at the comet, um, the color of uh, Zeta Origae was uh, quite striking. Um, it was a kind of an orangish um, star, yeah. I like the uh, sketch you did there of the rosette. I really like, yeah, uh, like the breaks in the wreath of it. I always think of that almost as like um, it's like a zoomed in uh, visual observation of the Triffid. It has sort of those same hallmark mm-hmm. uh, divisions, uh, like yeah. Triffid, and then with the uh, I think it's NGC twenty two forty four cluster at the center. Yeah, well, yeah. they took some some patience to get out because when you're first looking you see the cluster of course and then you see the rim of uh, nebulosity around the cavity that surrounds the cluster really well because it's a 
So they're this bright milky silk uh, that's kind of surrounding that cluster. But then uh, as if you're patient and you're using averted vision and you, you take the time to kind of survey and pay more attention to certain areas over the others, you start seeing kind of these uh, differing amounts of brightness and uh, these subtle details in the shading, but you really have to um, spend some time with it and work for it. It's not, um, it's not, uh, th these kinds of details aren't things that you just see just mm -hmm. at a glance. Um, you have to spend time with the objects and uh, learning to be patient uh, while I sketch has helped me see all of these things. Um, before I was sketching, I was a pretty impatient observer and it was, you know, spend 30 seconds on a target and then it was time to move on to the next thing. But now, um, when I really find something that I want to sketch, you know, I can sit there for, you know, when, uh, a half hour to an hour, uh, and be perfectly happy looking at the same thing the whole time, just so I can catch those details. And I, I see you're using a, a UHC filter there for the for the rosette. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the filter helped with the detail for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, um, uh, it was they, it gave a little bit more contrast than just the view straight through. Um, apparently, the the rosette is great with an oxygen three filter, and there's even more details that you can tease out. Uh, that if you take out the hydrogen beta line that the UHC filter lets through, you can get even more uh, subtle shadows from some of the glob block, uh, sorry, Bach globules um, and some other things in the nebula. Wow. Even more detail would be incredible because that's, <laughs> that's amazing. And, you know, I really appreciate your comment too, Michael, just around kind of the acquisition time or, or time at the eyepiece. And, you know, that allowed you to see all of that detail. Um, it's a great way to observe. Uh, I love it. Mm -hmm. um, so now that you've had the scope out a few times, um, is there any upgrades or modifications that you're considering? Uh, right now, I want to fill out my IP uh, set so that uh, I can really push the magnification for uh, planetary nebulas. Right now, I can get um, up to uh, 150 power, but I uh, was trying to see the Spirograph nebula, and I could tell it was a planetary nebula, but I couldn't really see any detail in it because it was just so small and with uh this much resolving power i should be able to push it to 300 power at least on a on a good night so i want to definitely want to get some uh small focal length eyepieces to uh, bump the magnification up um i've actually um added a laser pointer um, for outreach purposes, uh, I'm the club's outreach coordinator, um, and people are always asking me, so where exactly are you pointed in the sky? <laughs> so um, I had that laser pointer on my Newtonian, my four and a half inch. So I just uh, got a second mounting saddle for it and put it on the 12 inch. So that was kind of the first major upgrade. Um, but right now I'm pretty happy with it. Um, as it is, um, I, <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe I'm not one of those people who's just ultra picky about their telescope, um, because I spent so many hours fighting with my old, uh, Newtonian, 
that I'm, I'm just used to not having everything exactly perfect. <laughs> well, and, and really, you know, these a lot of these telescopes, uh, especially at that price point, uh, come out of the box, you know, with a lot of great functioning uh, parts that, you know, you don't really need to do much to them. And, you know, your, your sketches certainly prove that out. It's a, it's a great performing telescope. Um, so congrats on that. That's awesome. Well, thanks Shane. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to many, many years uh, more observing through this telescope. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, this has been great. Really appreciate the conversation and, and uh, sharing the sketches here, Michael. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. Yeah. So a question on the horse head before we go and, and take some Q and A's. Um, was that your first time observing the horse head? And did yes, you... oh, that, was, that was my first time. And that was why I had strong doubts that I was going to see it because I, you know, I, I had a vague idea of what I was going to be look for just from pushing the limits of my old telescope, that it was going to be like just this um, on the edge glow for IC 434. And then I was going to be looking for an absence of glow. And uh, I think because I've spent so much time with that four and a half inch looking for galaxies um, and nebulas that really were pushing the, uh, the limits of what that telescope could do, I was well prepared for uh, even with an upgrade, looking for a target that was still on the edge of the capabilities of the telescope. Nice. Very nice. Beautiful sketches. Always love getting uh, sketches in my, in my inbox from, from listeners. And it's, uh, it's sort of been nice to go from just chatting uh, via email and, and now talking to you in person uh, several times and lead up for this. So thank you so much for helping set this up this evening. It's been wonderful. Thanks guys. Yeah. Do we have any questions uh, before we move ahead for uh, for Michael? Yeah, go ahead. I see uh, Richard there. You've got a question. Yeah, I'll just uh, ask you to unmute. Go ahead and unmute. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, hi, Michael. I have uh, actually have the ten inch version of Michael's telescope, so this is kind of cool. I just wonder how much how much more powerful the extra two inches are. But my question, Michael, is how much viewing time do you get before you need to adjust the coordinates like when it the uh when it's out of the uh direct eyepiece or the uh telescope uh so basically how much time before the object is uh moving out of the field of view is that what That's, you're asking yes yeah yes, okay exactly um it depends on what power i'm working at like at uh um you know, 36 times or 42 times, which are the two lowest powers that I have with the current IP set that I have, um, you know, I can go a good 30 seconds before I need to bump the telescope. But uh, with the, uh, at 150 uh, and 220 power, um, it's much more um, frequent, like every five seconds that I'm giving the telescope a little bit of a bump. So when I'm looking at the planets, um, it's, you know, almost continuous where I'm making small adjustments um, when I'm looking at high power, but uh, it's, um, it doesn't, it hasn't bothered me because I I was used to uh, with my old telescope, even though it was on an equatorial mount, I was used to using the slow motion controls to make uh, continual adjustments 
uh, in that one. So, so far that hasn't really um, made much of an impact or a change to my observing. Well, good for you, patient. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the uh, question. I see uh, Trevor's made a comment here. Uh, says, uh, awesome portfolio you're going to have. And uh, I think you made some very smart choices and eyepieces, says, uh, says Trevor. Thanks for the comment, Trevor. Any other questions or comments for, for Michael? I think it's it's pretty cool. I, I like the sketching. It kind of gives you that sort of grounded view. And, and then you have, uh, I think, a matching set of observations from your four and a half inch reflector. So you upgrade it from the four and a half to the 12 inch. So I, I think that's a good jump. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Well, with that, then um, we're going to thank Michael. Well, that's it for part one of our 300th episode. Special thanks to KW Center President Trevor Chandler and our friend and loyal listener, Michael Wright, as well as the KW Executive for agreeing to all this. Also, thanks to KW Telescope, the local astronomy store there who hosted people in person for the event. We really appreciate that. So if you get by Kitchener, Ontario, KW Telescope is uh, in the Manitou Mall now, right across from the Subaru dealership in South Kitchener, so not too far off the 401. We're always happy to receive feedback and observing reports, as well as your questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>